As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Another week, another straight out of Cobham. This is the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, crypto crashes, but Sterling shows its value as Raheem rolls over Foxes. There's loads of transfer news as we enter the final week of the window. And we round up the rest of the Blues news as the women team complete their preseason and make another signing. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Happy birthday, Thomas Tuchel. Uh, he got his card from Anthony Taylor the other week, etc. <laughs> um, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here for another week of Blues News and Views. I'm joined by the Athletics Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson. Um, Simon, I was going to ask how you're doing, but I kind of know that. So thanks for being brave. Yeah, I'm back fully refreshed, he said, <laughs> with inverted commas. Yeah, follow Simon's Twitter account for more details on that. Jesse Parker Humphreys is also back with us. How are you doing, Jesse? Doing good, Matt. Thanks for having me again. It is our pleasure. Uh, we're going to start today with Saturday at Stamford Bridge. More space than they were expecting. <laughs> Sterling second of the game. Raheem Sterling with a couple of priceless Chelsea goals. Down to ten men, and you would not know it. It was exciting, exciting match with suddenly a huge disadvantage after we started very strong. And uh, we did what was necessary to keep the chance alive to win. And uh, finally, we won with a bit of luck. Chelsea 2, Leicester City 1 then. The Blues registering their first home win of the season and doing it the hard way, playing with 10 men for more than an hour. Raheem Sterling's second half brace, enough to get the job done despite Harvey Barnes pulling a goal back for the visitors. Simon, only the fourth league game of the season, but feels like a pretty significant one given the circumstances. Yeah, I took real attention to the way um, the players acted after the game. In fact, that it is customary for players to, to walk around the pitch afterwards and you know applaud the fans, etc. But this seemed a bit longer, a bit more... You just got the feeling that they knew just how important that win was. It wasn't pretty. They they weren't convincing, obviously, partly because they were down 10 men for over an hour. But it was just all about the three points because you could imagine the the pressure building, the, the sort of scrutiny on them building if they'd dropped points yet again. 
Um, so under the circumstances, it was a it was a really really good win, even if the manner in which it was achieved still raises some question marks over what's happening at the moment. Um, some good fortitude, I thought, Jesse, shown by Chelsea here. Not something that we were necessarily sure that this squad had in abundance, but as Simon says, facing adversity and they managed to come through it. The first half was a forgettable affair, I think it would be fair to say, but but Chelsea, without being spectacular, got the job done. Yeah, and I think the fortitude thing's an interesting one because it feels like with this team, there are some real standout moments across the seasons where you think, Yes, that was it. That was it. But there's just never feels like the ability to to make that go consistently across a number of games. And I can't ever quite figure out why it is that there seems to be some points where we really dig in and kind of grind out the result in this way. And then there are other games where it feels like it just totally gets away from us. And I think if you look at the, the past three league games to go from the way we played against Spurs, to the way we played against Leeds to this. It just feels like sometimes you're you're watching a different team come out on the pitch every week. Yeah, absolutely. Total contrast from Spurs to Leeds and then to Leicester. And in terms of the personnel, though, Simon, it was pretty much the same. Just the one change, and that was enforced because of Koulibaly's suspension. Trevor Chalobah came in, and according to Fabrizio Romano, at least, he's going to be staying at Chelsea. Is that on the basis of this performance or just because they've decided that they need to keep some cover in those positions? Yeah, I think this was this was being earmarked before the weekend. And personally, I think it makes an awful lot of sense. I don't quite understand why, from Chelsea's point of view, why they're even considering letting him go. I can understand from his point of view a bit of concern about his lack of game time, especially with Fafana about to come in. And of course, people seem to forget that 2022, he was being increasingly phased out the team as well. But with Silver being the age he is, suspensions, as we see with Koulibaly, injuries can happen. Um, Chalaba is, is, I think, is, is key to have around. It's just whether he will get enough, the kind of game time he wants to build on what was a good first full season with the senior side last season. I think in this game as well, you saw the benefit of having a player like Shalaber in the squad because to go from playing as the kind of right side of centre back in what was pretty much a four to after the sending off and after half time go and play as the left side of centre back in, in what was a three you know there aren't a huge number of players who you feel like you can so easily slot all the way across the back line in the way that Shalaber was is clearly kind of able to do and, and Tuchel seems to feel well, at least in this game, I guess it looked like he felt confident in being able to move him around like that, even though at points, I guess there's been question marks of, of why he hasn't hasn't played because he can do all of those kind of roles. Uh, there was a real Cobham influence on this starting eleven, obviously with Chalaba, Rhys James, Mason Mount, Conor Gallagher too, but not for as long as he would have liked, Simon. I mean, he, two challenges that didn't need to be made, really. I mean, you could say he'll learn from that kind of thing, but he should have known better in the first place, shouldn't he? Yeah, I've got a lot of sympathy for him for the second one. Um, Cucurella definitely claims the assist. Not the kind of assist everyone was expecting him to make from the corner. Um, it was a terrible corner and then he made it even worse by a ridiculous, poor, poorly struck crossfield ball. And Gallagher just panicked, unfortunately, when Barnes got on the end of it and was racing through. But there was so, so far for Barnes to go. 
Plus there were there was chat Chalibo and it was it was actually quite a bad professional. I don't know whether you sort of looked at how the it wasn't just a little clip. He actually treads on his ankle. It could have been a straight red, you know. It was it was. But I felt, I really felt for him because you could see, you know, with their vantage point in the press box, the players walk straight towards you when they're, when they're being subbed or, in this case, sent off. And he, he looks so crushed, um, close to tears almost. And it's a huge blow for because he knows what kind of opportunity there is right now for him to, to make his mark with, with Conte being injured, Kovacic not being match fit. It's a, it's a golden opportunity for him to really make his mark. And his first start at Leeds didn't go brilliantly. But again, he wasn't the only one. And he could sort of say the same for the first half on Saturday. He wasn't the only one that was that was struggling. But unfortunately, perhaps that that lack of experience, particularly being on that yellow card to begin with, you know, you, you don't make... Even though he was trying to think of what's best for the team, it was just it, it just didn't make any sense. You could actually see, I don't know whether you also saw Cucurella's reaction. He jumped up and in frustration because I think he knew as well that that was kind of his fault too. But now Gallagher's suspended for Southampton gives Kovacic perhaps a chance to, to get in that team and yeah, Gallagher will be sort of worrying sort of when he's next start will, will come from because Tuchel perhaps will have some questions in his mind now about just where Gallagher is in terms of um, whether he can be trusted from the start. He might have to resort to being a having a sub-role from now on for a little while. Jesse, what's your view on um, players apologising on social media for getting sent off like Connor did? I can see why players want to do it, but I think it always feels just like a very sad state of affairs all round that we live in a world where people obviously get so much rubbish said to them on social media. They feel like they have to come out and, and say something like this. I feel like the apology just felt even worse because you know, like that he's obviously been at the club for a million years, that he's, you know, a boyhood Chelsea fan. It just feels like it felt like an addition to those like heart wrenching images of him going off the pitch, and then you're thinking about him writing that Instagram post, and just all of it just feels like tears dripping down on his device as he's trying to yeah, key in the words. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I I just feel so like heartbroken for the kid because it just felt like this was such a great opportunity for him to come and get those starts, and then yeah, the way the way both of those games have gone for him is just. It's not been a great look. Yeah, just um, just as we're talking, there's reports that Crystal Palace have have made a bid for him, um, which sort of gives um, gives Chelsea and Gallagher a decision to make. Now, certainly earlier in the summer, there was no no chance of, of Chelsea being interested in selling him. Very much assured that he was part of the squad this season, but you just wonder. With with him want, having World Cup ambitions, whether you know sort of the the picture has changed somewhat. No one can doubt how much Gallagher wants to play for Chelsea. Um, he loves the place. He loves the club. But it is a it is an awkward decision um, for him to make. Um, I, I personally would would not. I, I just don't understand why Chelsea would sell him. He's he's too good, in in my opinion, to to be let go. But perhaps alone even though we were getting indications early, early in the year that a loan wouldn't be considered from, from his people. But it doesn't make much sense for Chelsea to sell him, um, in my opinion. 
Also, Jesse, I don't think it would make much sense from his perspective to go out. Obviously, it's been a difficult start uh, because of Leeds and Leicester, as we've mentioned. But Kovacic is half fit and seems to get injured a lot more these days than he used to. And Kante is out for, what, a month at least. And as we've discussed at length on this podcast, there's another player who seems to be injured more often than not. You can see where he's going to get the minutes. So is he better off playing peripherally for Chelsea or playing for Palace every week? I mean, is it going to have a massive bearing on whether he gets in the England squad or not? Well, yes, I guess that depends, I guess, from his side on his view of how likely it is that he'd get in the England World Cup squad. Because in terms of if you take the World Cup stuff out of it, you're like, well, why would you go back and do a loan, which is identical to the... You're still going to come into next season with the exact same problem. You need to take a step up to a team which is going to have higher expectations on your performances. I guess the one thing that he might also, though, be bearing in mind is whilst you can see where the minutes are coming from, does he want to play in that position. Yes, there might be minutes in a double pivot, but does he think if he goes back to Palace, he's going to play further forward? And, and that's what he wants to do. And I actually, when I was watching watching the rest of the game without him, and obviously Ruben Loftus-Cheek kind of went back into the double pivot, it did make me wonder whether it would have made more sense to see the two of them swap rounds. Just in terms of Ruben having the kind of benefit and experiences of those like kind of extra years. And it just felt like there was so much pressure on Gallagher in in that role and and even with the cover from the corner there was a previous corner where the ball had got booted out to him and he almost miscontrolled it in that you know Jorginho versus Man United-esque area and that was before we had the same problem on the second corner and again it was just like I don't feel like the team had necessarily been set up to deal with the reality of of what Gallagher was trying to do in terms of making his second start for the club. All right, well, he's not going to be able to play against Southampton. He didn't play in the second half against Leicester either. And Simon, Chelsea were, were much better, certainly carried more of a threat going forward and took the lead just a couple of minutes after the restart. Raheem Sterling with the first of his brace. Bit of luck about the first one. The second, I mean, he might as well have been wearing a Man City shirt. It was so familiar to the kind of goals he used to score then. And there was that moment in between too, wasn't there, where he hit the post. Ward made a, a really good save. So it felt vital, not just for Chelsea, but that he got that second goal too. So the narrative is Raheem Sterling won the game for Chelsea with two goals rather than Raheem Sterling missed a golden chance to, to settle the game for Chelsea. And, and just massive, I think, for Raheem to just get off the mark in general because... If it had gone four games without a goal, the scrutiny would have would have increased on on his shoulders because you know he was brought in to help Chelsea's goal scoring problem and <laughs> he's sort of become part of it almost. But how many times does it sort of it almost get sort of um, talked about as a joke or or sort of mentioned like heartedly in, in commentary, say when you're commentating Matt or whatever that that a player that needs to score goals, you sort of say, oh, he just needs one to go in off his backside or, or you know, just... And it, it had a perfect view of it from the press box and saw the deflection and the perfect loop and just went, that's exactly um, the kind of luck he needed just to break the shackles. And the second one was obviously all down to Reese James. I mean, absolutely magnificent cross. And, of course, that that is a key partnership in this Chelsea attack going forward of course they have a great understanding with England you can see that they get on there was a great sort of like uh, footage of them sort of in, interacting after the game and after the goal 
But yeah, huge for Sterling. And I didn't actually realise at the time what a great save Ward has made because live he just went, oh, Sterling's hit the post or he should have buried that. But it was a magnificent save. You've got to give Ward a lot of credit for that. But just I think for Sterling that's massive to, to not only get off the mark, but he had gone away from that going, I've been the match winner. I've started to repay the, the transfer fee that, that Chelsea paid for me. Jesse, Simon mentions Reese James there. In my notes here, it says, Reese James and Thiago Silva were amazing. Discuss. Uh, so that's on you. Yeah, pretty much. I think we saw the difference of of having Reese back out wide, didn't we? I feel like, you know, we always talked about it before. And I tried to go and have a look and see if, like, statistically it's borne out. But this game, you have to put such an asterisk over all of it because of how long we play with 10 men. You can't, you can't really see that. But I just think from the eye test, it just felt like... I think it just gives teams something else to think about as well. Like, if you're looking at having even Ruben Loftus-Cheek on, on that right wide side, it just feels like... Reese James's kind of dynamism and, and ability on the ball and and the way he just kind of barrels barrels down the pitch is it just forces teams I think to to be more aware of that than than when you're using him in a centre back role and Thiago Silva yeah absolutely just incredible the way he reads the games the amount of times he's there to make the tackle the interception I know you could say you could clip that up and put this in podcasts after watching Chelsea every single week but it is absolutely astounding the way he just you know kind of even the way he gets around still it doesn't compute how old he is every time I hear commentators go 37 year old Diago Silva I'm still like what it's absolutely immense yeah he's effortless effortless grace um as we round up the Leicester game then, Simon, any impact effect of not having Thomas Tuchel on the sideline? I mean, it was the biggest possible test, wasn't it, getting a red card after half an hour? No, I, mean, I, th- I think um, the Chelsea players perhaps were relieved that he wasn't there on the sideline. <laughs> didn't hear him going mental. I also was very wary suddenly of his presence in the Chelsea press room at half-time. He stormed through, having obviously given a stern team talk um, to then walk through to, to his seat um, higher up in the East Stand. And I was just launching into a bit of banter as I do. <laughs> uh, and I was, and I was going, Oh, Oh, you know, clearly Thomas doesn't, um, I started going along the lines of Thomas clearly doesn't make his players practice their goal scoring enough or something like I can't remember where for where, but I suddenly realised he's going. You know how your sentence kind of tails off as you quickly realise the person you're talking about is in the room. I think he was in too much of a funk to um, to pay attention of the irritating journalist that was just uh, making light light-hearted comment at his expense. But no, I, I don't think it it had a massive effect. Look, he could give the team talks. He could be with with the players. That's where it's most important. Yeah, you just saw him um, suffering like a lot of the fans did up in the stand every time the camera sort of switched to him. Uh, Well, he'll be back in the dugout on Tuesday night. Chelsea's next game coming pretty soon. It's at St Mary's against Southampton. We'll look ahead to it next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Chelsea heading to the South Coast for a midweek matchup then. Little more than four months since the Blues walloped the Saints 6-0 on their own patch. Uh, Jesse, you putting Koulibaly straight back into the team here? Presumably Kovacic for, for Gallagher is the other most likely change? Yeah, I think that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, just in terms of, I mean, Koulibaly, you're obviously going to play him if he's available. Kovacic, I guess it depends on on whether he is ready to kind of to start a game, but he certainly looked, you know, pretty lively when he, when he came on in this game. So... Um, yeah, and I think it will be an interesting one. You know, Southampton are a team who this season I feel like I just still can't get a handle on whether I think they're any good or not. There were moments, I think, against United this weekend where they did look good, but then when you're playing United, <laughs> I don't know how much stock to put in that right now. And and they, it feels like they've got... I feel like every time I look at a Southampton team sheet, there's like about three players I've I've literally never heard of before. So it's, The new Watford, yeah. This feels like a very <laughs> weird one. To, I don't really feel like I've got much of a gauge on... on what we're going to get when we get to the South Coast. I guess it might give Armando Breuer a go here, Simon, if, you, if you're going to do it. Logic might dictate that it would be against a, a team and a defence that, that he knows the strengths and weaknesses of. Yeah, yeah quite possibly. Um, it was interesting watching Breuer on Saturday, not that he obviously came on, but he was living and kicking every ball. Particularly in those final minutes, he was standing up in, in the dugout uh, along with Jorginho, um, you could tell he was just sort of desperate to to be a part of it. And you do wonder, I mean, I'd be surprised if he starts because Kai Havertz is clearly ahead of him in the pecking order. But Kai Havertz, after four games, has been disappointing. I, I think we can safely say that. You know, how long can, how long can Chelsea and Tuchel sort of just let Havertz fail to make his mark at the top of the pitch um, whilst Broyer's Broyer's sitting there waiting in the wings um, you know Broyer's got a lot to learn he's, he's he's obviously not got the huge transfer fee that Kai Havertz has but um, I think Chelsea could benefit from using Broyer a bit more than he is I was told and it's part of the, the David Ornstein column which I think we'll get on to I was told that the club have got no interest in selling him. They they do they do sort of see him as as one of Europe's best young strikers. But if that's the case, then you've got to let him have a chance to show it. And does Tuchel trust him? That that that's the that's the big question. I think the Havertz thing feels like such a tricky one because on the one hand, Kaladu Koulibaly has had more shots than Kai Havertz so far this season. Great <laughs> <Break> stat. <laughs> but on the other hand, I I did think. On Saturday, you saw what he offered, I guess, in a different way. You know, his his involvement in the goal and his involvement in in the, the chance where Sterling hits the post. Both of them, I thought, were, were great movement. And you can see the runs he makes. It just feels like, in terms of the way Tuchel obviously wants Chelsea to kind of keep the ball and be... And I guess, again, in a game where you've only got 10 men, that makes even more sense to, to want to do that. But it feels like he's always looking for for a quicker ball than 
it feels like the rest of the players are willing to play him. And I think that ends up making him look worse. But when he does drop in, you can, you know, see what, what he does offer. And I thought you saw that yesterday. It just feels like, I guess maybe there's, when you don't have, and maybe this will change now, Sterling's got his first goals, but, you know, I don't think Mount's been super impressive this season either. Obviously, you then have many more questions on what Havertz is doing, whereas it feels like he need he's the kind of player who, if you're going to play him as your central striker, you really need your other attacking players to be coming good as well because he's not going to offer you just a traditional set of goals. Yeah, um, he did do all right when Chelsea were defending the lead. His hold-up play was okay, but it certainly hasn't looked much like scoring so far. Uh, as we mentioned last week, this is the, the middle of a decent run now for Chelsea. Southampton, only one win so far. That was at Leicester. Uh, following this, the Blues have got West Ham and Fulham before they play Liverpool. That West Ham game, in case you didn't see it, has been moved from Sunday next week to Saturday. Kick-off TBC as we record. Uh, Chelsea haven't lost at St Mary since 2013. We'll react to that game in our second pod of the week, which will be out on Friday because of the transfer window closing on Thursday night. And it's that to which we'll turn our attention next. Mark Chapman and we finally reached the closing week of the summer transfer window. Premier League clubs have spent more than their German, Italian, Spanish and French counterparts combined and they are not done yet. Don't miss any of the twists and turns with myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many more on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we take you inside the deals that really matter. We're free to listen wherever you get your podcasts and we're ad-free on the Athletic app. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Right, as we've alluded to, this section of the podcast is brought to you in association with David Ornstein's Monday morning column for The Athletic, which is very Chelsea heavy today. It's always worth the read. Remember, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. It'll only cost you a pound a month for your first six months. Um, interesting line, Simon, one of many in here, about Wesley Fofana, who, you know, as it's 2022, used a quote tweeting Gary Lineker as a method of telling us all that his move to Chelsea was pretty much completed. Um, David reporting that he's been sent to America for his medical as Chelsea seeks some reassurance over that horrible injury that he suffered in pre-season last year, broke his leg and ankle ligaments. Do you think this is going to be the way that things are done? going forward or is this just kind of double triple checking on what is a, a massive investment on the player who has had a serious injury yeah I, I think it's probably more to do with the latter um it's a lot of money involved although not as not as much as been reported from what i'm told i'm told that it's all in including add-ons etc it work out less than 70 million pounds which um whether you consider that a bargain i don't know but but given that Given that Leicester were looking for for Chelsea to break the, the the transfer record for a defender to top Harry Maguire, perhaps it does show 
show that you know these guys can negotiate a hard bargain. And there's been a lot of criticism aimed in their direction that they just seem to be paying clubs whatever they ask for. Well, you know they they they've they've fought hard for Fafana. It's pretty clear that he was their target, their their main sort of defensive target. Once they missed out on Delit. And yeah, this is this is driving a hard bargain. But you you want to make sure when you're spending that kind of money that that the guy is definitely physically right um, after such a serious injury. So I, I, it, it's unusual. Yes, you do sort of wonder what what's wrong with the sort of medical people that they normally use. But hey, it's their money. They can do, they can send a player wherever they want. You know to to get the test done. And yeah, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure it'd be fine because he's already played for Leicester this season, so it's it's not as if um, he's coming coming back straight from that broken leg. All right, so that one will likely have been announced by the time you hear this, listener. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang might not be coming to Chelsea, though. David Ornstein uh, reporting. There is a question mark over the value of the proposed deal, given Aubameyang is 33 and will expect a high salary, which Chelsea would want to include performance incentives. Um, Jesse, surely that question mark was there last week and the week before and the week before that. Uh, Chelsea just getting cold feet? It seems strange to be bringing up these questions now that have always been there. Well, I guess maybe it's more that Chelsea felt like there was a a price and a salary where the the, the risks would be worth it. You know, we've obviously shown with with signing Sterling and Koulibaly that for the age doesn't necessarily have to be a a problem. You know, Thiago Silva again is a, is a great example of that. Although, of course, he was free. I think with this kind of stuff, those kind of players, you just want to be realistic about what you think they would offer you and, and how they consequently fit into things like your wage structure and, and things like that. And whether maybe similar to the Fafana thing, Chelsea just feel like there might still come a point where, you know, Barcelona at least have to accept lower than they want. But then that's very different if, you know, personal terms can't be agreed with Aubameyang. You've got you've got a different problem and that's almost Barcelona making things difficult for Chelsea because if they've kind of backweighted his contract so he's set to earn loads more this season, then... I don't really know how you get around that. I want to jump in here because um, if you look very closely, you'll see in the piece, you'll see additional reporting. <laughs> and my name is there. <laughs> and uh, it was Aubameyang. Uh, one of the things I chipped in on was, was the Aubameyang story. And um, it came as a surprise to me because it seemed like, oh, it was only about time before this deal was going to get done. But then I was told that Chelsea basically suddenly decided, actually, we're not sure that he fits in to the culture at Chelsea, what they're trying to build there. That that surprised me because, you know, in the sense that, well, why was there any interest to begin with? There's no shock what Aubameyang is. But I think, I think there was just suddenly a sort of thought, right, he's 33, going to have to pay quite a reasonable fee to Barcelona, plus his wages... He'll block the path of, for example, someone like Broya. Chelsea obviously have perhaps other targets in mind for this window, but also for future windows. What are you going to do when you've suddenly got this 33-year-old stroke 34 come next year that suddenly is on loads of money in and he's no longer part of your your sort of long-term plans? So it felt very much like an expensive stopgap was the, was the impression I got. But I, I I do think there's a there, there is a genuine concern about about the, the sort of lack of goals in this team. So 
I got the impression that they are looking at somebody else. Now, Zaha's name's been been mentioned. And again, on, on Sunday, I got the impression that it is being talked about with people close to Zaha. But again, it does seem like a strange short, short-term move. And also, if you're Crystal Palace, do you really want to let such a key player go? Also, he's got one year, just one year left on his contract. So it is, it's a... I think there's going to be so many things coming out in the next few days. It's um, Chelsea, as I sort of described last night when I was talking to someone, Chelsea, Chelsea's 2022 has not been dull and <laughs> this is just going to be another chapter, I think, this week. It's going to be a lot a lot of business going on. All right, so Aubameyang may be off. Producer Lucy thinking along the same lines as me that maybe Todd Bowley's just got to that episode of All or Nothing um, where they boot him out and, <laughs> and that's had a, a factor. Um, Wilfred Zaha, it's interesting how his name always comes up in the final week of every single transfer window. Um, maybe he'll get his move to somebody one day. Anthony Gordon might also be off then, Simon. Did you do any additional reporting on this one? Substantial golf valuation between the two clubs. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it described to me as, as, again, quite interesting terminology, um, that all the talk has been overblown, which, again, you sort of go, really? You know, because this seems to have been so, yeah, it's been so played out in the media, you know, that this is happening and da da da. Yeah, I do think that, I do think the cost is a big factor in why, why Chelsea are, are sort of actually, this is crazy. I mean, sixty million plus for a guy spending more on Gordon than than Arsenal did on Gabriel Jesus, for example. It, it doesn't compute. Gordon, from what I've seen from afar, um, I'm not going to sort of make out I'm some kind of Anthony Gordon expert. He looks talented, but is he what Chelsea need right now? I, I, it was a signing I, I I didn't really understand. It's not a priority. If, if you're going to spend that kind of money on a player, Chelsea should be spending it on a striker, um, not not a sort of a guy that you kind of wonder what his best position is still at, at this stage. So yeah, anyway, yeah, I, I'll be surprised if it happens now, because yeah, the the, the money that's that's involved, uh, I think Chelsea are sort of thinking now that that that's way over the odds. Feels a bit kind of Arnautovic to Man United to me, Jesse. Like, well, we put this out in the court of public opinion. Mm, actually, do we want to be spending this much money on something that's not going to get as much kudos with supporters? Hard not to feel Todd's been influenced by that video of the person on Twitter telling him that uh, Anthony Gordon was crap and he shouldn't sign him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I guess also, I feel like from an evident perspective, they've really fumbled the bag on this. If there was an offer at, say... 50 I feel like they should have taken the money and and ran it at this point because I think that even that felt like a massive overvaluation of of Anthony Gordon to be honest and I think Chelsea will have dodged a real bullet potentially just in terms of feeling like this is a player who's totally unproven on any level none of it really felt like it ever made any sense I think even if you were looking at spending 30 million on him I'd have felt a bit surprised to be totally honest so but I mean, also the football transfer market is so funny because then you see, oh, like Manchester United are interested, and it's like everyone just decides that someone might be like exciting and shiny when, when even when it has zero seemingly basis in reality. 
Yeah, that's pretty on brand for Man United, isn't it? All right, so potential incomings, maybe potentially not. In terms of outgoings, again, according to Ornstein plus Johnson in the column this morning, Pulisic and Gallagher likely to stay, although now we, we don't know about Gallagher. Armando Breuer too. Uh, Billy Gilmore potentially going to Brighton on loan just feels so right. I mean, that, that is absolutely A1 for Billy. So let's hope that comes off. And hudson Adoy to Leverkusen still on, but without an option to buy potentially, Simon? Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. You know, he's got two years left on his contract. Chelsea would hope that he, he goes goes to Leverkusen, lights it up, and then they're left in a position of either he's good enough to, to be part of things or they can make some money for him and sell him. It, it's a huge season for hudson Doy. There's sort of no more talk of potential. It's, it's time for him to get a run of games and really actually show whether he's the real deal or not. And he's, not, he's clearly not going to get that at Chelsea and certainly not in the position he wants to play. He's going to be... He can understand his frustration uh, of being messed about by Tuchel in the sense of playing wing-back one week. They're not on the bench the next. Then a couple of games in his favourite position, then back to wing-back, then back on the bench. Yeah, it's, the guy has never had a run of games, it feels to me, to show what he can or can't do. That's the thing we, we don't know whether he's any good because he, he never plays often enough. Um, and it sort of become, it's become a bit sort of like a cyclical story for him. So yeah, if he, if he gets to complete this loan, which I'm sure he will do, then, um, then we'll see. But I mean, Leverkusen, if he, do, if he ends up joining Leverkusen, there will be pressure on him because Leverkusen got off to a poor start in the Bundesliga. So suddenly he'll be put in a position where he's there to to sort of not save them for relegation. It's a bit too early for that. But certainly the pressure will be on for him to, to, to lift them up the table. Well, as I say, Friday for our second show of the week, that will enable us to round up all the incomings and outgoings at the end of the transfer window. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the Champions League group stage draw has been made since last we spoke. The Blues in Group E with AC Milan, Dinamo Zagreb and RB Salzburg. I think we're all looking forward to the reunions with Tomori Giroud and probably not Bakayoko. Uh, Simon, same thing. You, I always think when you look at the Champions League group stage draw, you think, oh, there's some interest there, but I can pretty much pick which teams are going to be going through. Um, <laughs> could have been better, could have been worse, I would say. I, I still think, you know, you look at some of those other groups... And Chelsea should almost start celebrating now, in, you know, in the nicest possible way. Uh, no, they're not through, but there'll be questions asked of Thomas Tuchel if they don't get through this group. He was right to sort of say afterwards, oh, look, there's no easy game. You know, the classic sort of coach's response to a favourable draw, but, you know. Can you do it in Zagreb on a Tuesday night in September? Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope so, because I'm going. Um, and it's a long way to go. And I'm not on a direct flight either, he said bitterly. Um, more about that next week, I'm sure. Johnson travel nightmares uh, continues. Um, but no, it's if they can get off to a good start, Zagreb, then win the following home game against Salzburg, you put yourself, even four points out of six, it, is um, you know Kazagreb first up is a little bit tricky um, away from home, but yeah, you're almost halfway there, and then you then you've got the Milan double header. Um, but I, I I just think yeah, I think Chelsea should be not only going through but going through as group winners. It's a good season, Jesse, for Chelsea in the Champions League this time around. It's a notoriously difficult competition to predict, but you'd want to be going what quarterfinals as a minimum. I think so. I think also just because it 
feels like a competition which especially under Tuchel we've we've clearly always shown up for you know even last season when there were points where we looked pretty rubbish it still felt like when it came around to the Champions League we we really showed up and you know it didn't really feel like we were far off making the final again so yeah I think at least the quarterfinals obviously the way these things get drawn means sometimes you're just going to end up facing facing a rubbish set of teams and and vice versa you know obviously winning two seasons ago that felt like quite a favourable run to the final so and I think topping the group as well would actually almost feel like a good thing to have outside the Premier League as as kind of a confidence boost, given, you know, as Simon says, I do think this is a favourable draw. I do think this is a set of games which we should feel like we can win. And given that the league this year feels like it's going to be deeply unpredictable, both in terms of other people's results and the break in the middle, I think to have a good winter in the Champions League would be would be a very good place to to be. My only concern is I, I just got images of Olivia Giroud <laughs> uh, climbing majestically and showing Chelsea that they still haven't replaced him, let alone put <laughs> like, a younger, sort of more athletic, faster rather um, striker to replace him. But um, yeah, I just you, you almost feel like the headline's been written already. You know the the former. Former players come back to to haunt and Tamori putting in a brilliant slide tackle on Sterling as he runs through one on one or something, you know. But um, but we'll see. I'm, I'm looking forward to those two games because it brings back memories of, um, of of Chelsea's first Champions League campaign back in uh, 1999 um, Two classic games against Milan, which ended up as two draws, but. Um, that that was a real sort of turning point in Chelsea's history when they they took on and that was when AC Milan was was still had sort of Maldini etc. So um, very much old AC Milan. Although it's great, I, I'm personally delighted that they're sort of getting back to their pomp because um, football I think needs a strong AC Milan. Yeah, looking forward to that double header. But the campaign kicks off uh, Tuesday the sixth of September away to Dinamo Zagreb, seventeen forty-five kickoff UK time. Simon will be there. And now then, elsewhere, the women's team had a friendly against Spurs on Sunday. Jesse was there. How did it go? Yeah, pretty comfortable win in the end, albeit with quite a strange team. Um, I believe the other half of the squad played the under eighteen boys. I think in the morning, so we've got this very odd odd mixture of players uh, and then like zero bench so everyone played kind of a full 90 uh but yeah 2-0 win goals from Penila Harder and Lauren James who are playing as like strange free eights because we don't have any midfielders so it was just Aaron Cuthbert and and vibes and the other thing that we did which I thought I, I don't think I've ever seen a team do this before but at half time we entirely mirrored our back four so the left back went to right back and and vice versa all the way along which I, honestly, I mean, it's great, the, the versatility, but I thought it was a very odd choice. <laughs> I love that from Emma Hayes. Also, if we don't get a podcast entitled Erin Cuthbert and Vibes at some point this season, <laughs> then um, Lucy needs to have a long, hard look at herself. Um, tell us a bit about Yelena Kankovic, please, Jesse, Serbian midfielder who's the, the latest summer signing for Emma Hayes. Yeah, Kankovic, I think, feels like the most obvious replacement for, for Jisoo Yun in terms of having very, very nice feet, great vision. Um she does become part of this very large collection of players who can play as 10s we we now have. I think I counted yesterday six in our squad right now, um, which I think it's fair to say uh, you can see the type of player Emma Hayes likes to sign. But I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many minutes Kankovic 
get. It's a very stacked um, spot she comes in to, to try and get. But it's also a, another interesting development in the slightly bizarre transfer saga, which seems to have involved us this summer, offering the players that Arsenal wanted, presumably more money or a more exciting project, and then picking us instead of Arsenal. So Arsenal were the other club who who offered to play Kankovic's release clause. Um, but she chose us. But uh, yeah, that she's got a fantastic highlights reel. Her her feet are amazing and she's she loves the the tricks and, and all of that stuff. So I think between her and Lauren James, we uh we could see a lot of fun on the on the pitch this season. Um speaking of Lauren Jesse, um how did she look? Obviously she had a very sort of injury play first season back at Chelsea um last year. So um how did she look? Did she look sort of fully up to speed now yeah I think all pre-season she's she's looked really good and you know she got an England call-up kind of I think in in reward of that and I think it's clear that Serena Wiegmann feels like she's kind of fit and and ready to go I definitely think on the basis of yesterday's performance Canarid kind of played as as the right winger but I wouldn't be surprised if if James gets the kind of starting nod there once uh, against West Ham assuming Fran Kirby's not back up to fitness she's got a foot injury at the moment but yeah, she just looks so much more confident, I think, on the ball than even than she did in her in her cameos last season, and and the way she moves with it, it, it is incredible. And yeah, just her her goal yesterday, it's just like a confidence to shoot from the edge of the area, perfect in the bottom corner. And I think it really feels like she's got a really good relationship forming with players like Harder, like Aaron Cuthbert, and it feels like she's finally settled in into the team. And I think. You know, if she has a good season, the questions about why she didn't play last season will obviously just stop because I feel like mm. it will have just been about, OK, better in, kind of take the pressure off her, make sure she gets fit. And right now she looks like she's raring to go. That's good news. Uh, in terms of the academy sides, the dev squad drew 2-2 with Man City at Kings Meadow on Friday night. Harvey Vale had Chelsea ahead before the reigning champ City scored twice in quick succession at the end of the first and start of the second half. But Lewis Hall rescued a point with the equaliser nine minutes from time. Uh, Hall then played for the under-18s on Saturday morning. They came from two down to draw 2-2 with 10-man Southampton. Atto Ampa got the equaliser in the 89th minute to preserve the unbeaten start to the season for Ed Brands team uh, that'll just about do it for us for today simon you're back from holiday what are you going to be working on this week my fitness uh <laughs> no um <laughs> uh basically it's all about the, the window essentially uh, i'm also doing the southampton game uh which will be very exciting i'm sure i hope that um it inspires mason obviously with his portsmouth connections to uh to perhaps lift him back to his usual standards after, but you know, yeah, a, a rather subdued um, opening to his campaign. But yeah, he, he gets fired up for Southampton, so um, yeah, maybe this will be the the early turning point that that Chelsea want to see. Fingers crossed on that one. Uh, elsewhere on the Athletic, we mentioned the David Ornstein column. You can also read Mark Carey on Raheem Sterling's performance at the weekend. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. That'll do it for today, though. Many thanks to producer Lucy, to Simon and to Jesse for their company and to you for checking us out on a bank holiday Monday. We'll be back Friday, remember, this week with our second show. Have a good week until then. Bye for now. The Athletic.